Let me introduce myself. I'm uh, Ted Severn. Uh, I'm a retired infantry guy. I've been uh, airborne, light, uh, mechanized, spent most of my lifetime in the mech business, also been air assault. Started out in uh, 1967 during the Vietnam War. That was my first shooting war. And uh, I was asked, uh, you know, to kind of talk about today's soldier and the family and uh, what we probably ought to know about today's soldier uh, in order that uh, I think with a long-term fix of probably trying to help the family out as either individual new lifers or as a new life church. So that's kind of my background. After I retired, I uh, went to work for a company called United Defense. Uh, we, uh, it was in the aftermath of the first Gulf War. And uh, I headed up a program where we fielded 400 uh, fight Bradley fighting vehicles to the Royal Saudi Land Forces to protect the Persian Gulf oil fields and the northern border with Iraq. And uh, then I've kind of been with that company off and on since that time. I'm still involved in the tactical vehicle business uh, in the northwest region to include Fort Carson and Fort Riley. Uh, so it, it places me in touch with those guys that I love dearly, and that is the, the average infantry soldier and leader. And uh, so I've pretty much had my hands uh, uh, been able to live with soldiers uh, my whole life, over 40-some-odd years. And so I'm going to give it my best shot. I talked to, we've, we've got a couple of, I want you guys to introduce yourselves, but we're, we're lucky enough to, I hope you don't mind if I introduce you, Jeff, but we've got the 4th Infantry Division uh, chaplain with us today, Jeff Houston. And he's, uh, I've, he and I have talked several times as I've tried to figure out uh, what we're going to talk about here today. So he's going to make sure he keeps me straight. And I know that uh, we've got a bunch of veterans in the, in the, in the room. So maybe if, if we could start here, you just kind of go around the room and introduce yourselves and what your interest is here and, and whether or not you've served. Uh, that would be helpful to me to know what the audience is. I'm Jeremy Link. I was a uh, medic from 64 Campbell. 101st? 101st. Yeah, good. Division. I lived there in uh, upstate New York, too. We were stationed there also. So. Okay, and, you're uh, good. Thanks for your service. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's fun. What, what's your interest here today? I'm um, interested in, uh, it's my boss. He, we, we do electrical uh, <laughs> uh, contracting. We also want to get into home automation, take care of soldiers. We want to see if there's a way we can kind of incorporate those and just Super. see what kind of needs we can do to serve in that area for, for our wounded warriors. Good for you guys. Thanks for being here. Sir. I'm uh, Thomas Campbell, Marine uh, Gunner Sergeant. And, uh, I spread out over quite a few years, from 52 to 1994. So you got the tail end of Korea? I was in the service, most of the Marine Corps service. Thanks for your service. I didn't go to Korea, though, but I had orders to go. And I lost this. They lost my shot record by two or three times, so I had to take overseas shot by three. That sounds that sounds normal. I think we're still losing shot records. About <laughs> how many installations they needed, they said, "Oops, we need uh, something in central uh, in the central part of the United States." So they kind of looked at it in '42 and in '43. Uh, Fort Carson was up and running. We've had some great divisions trained there, like the 10th Mountain Division. You guys are probably familiar with the 10th fought all the way up through uh, the, the, the Italian boot. They trained right here in Fort Carson, Colorado, and up in the mountains uh, for their mountain training. It was named after Christopher Kit Carson. Not going to talk a lot about him. You know, he was uh, one of our genuine frontiersmen. And the thing is, a, as kind of a wannabe cowboy and doing a certain amount of horseback riding, the thing that's amazing to me about Carson is that you can go from here all the way to the coast and there's some rugged terrain, as you know, going through there to include the, the Death Valley and so on, Mojave Desert. He's ridden all that on horseback back in the 1800s, mid-1800s. You say, holy cow, he must have been a half a guy just to survive that. Anyway, that's uh, what the post was named after. Uh, the, the mission is to train, deploy, and sustain units and teams for combat. One order, conduct decisive full-spectrum operations. Uh, in order to support the combatant commander, and that's the guy in command over in theater in either Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, and of course, win in the defense of our nation. And uh, so what it boils down to is, we gotta train units to fight and win when called. We deploy units consistently. For example, 
Garrett will tell you that the 10th group has always got somebody out. Uh, and generally a deployment for the 10th, for the special forces is a little different than the 4th Infantry Division. That's six months at a whack. So they're over for six months, back for six months, go another six months, and so on. So that's a pretty, pretty active deployment base, if you will. Uh, part of that is training and developing leaders and soldiers who can carry them on the mission. And we've been at this now nine years, so that's a, that's a heck of a sustainment, almost ten in some cases. Then obviously, while uh, soldiers are deploying and training, you've got to take care of each other, particularly the families. And uh, so that's the mission of the post. You can see some of the, you can see some of the unit activities up on the, uh, on the top. But uh, <clears throat> I think most of you know where Fort Carson is. It sits down on the south end of uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. The installation is just at the very tip. The rest of it is ranges, impact area, and some maneuver space. Uh, you can see where it lies in relationship to Pueblo, uh, Pueblo Army Depot. And then 110 miles south by air, 150 miles by road, is this uh, a place called uh, Pinion Canyon Maneuver Site. 10th Group trains down there, aviators train down there, conventional forces train down there. It's about a 230 square acre plot of land. It offers multiple types of terrain, so you can you can go cross-country maneuver with armored vehicles. You can do mountaineering on the, on the canyon walls. I mean, it just affords us a great training area. And by the way, <clears throat> the 10th Group and our Army aviators getting ready for Afghanistan train in the mountains outside of Colorado Springs. For example, there are about 30 authorized uh, landing zones up there. And there was just a major unit in here from the 1st Infantry Division training for example, for high-altitude flying. This is one of the only places in the United States where we have permission to fly. So these guys train here to uh, deploy to uh, Afghanistan. Next slide. These are just some facts I thought you uh, might be interested in knowing as we kind of look at the soldier. <clears throat> Here's the population. Military on post is 24,500. It's going to be a little larger by 2013. This is the number of family members. It'll grow by 2013. There are 6,000 civilians that work on the post in support of soldiers and families to include uh, 3,400 contracts. You see what, uh, what the size of the city is. I told you it was about 130,000 square acres. There are 3,000 family units on post, and that's a heck of an improvement from when I was stationed down there in 88 through the early 90s. Uh, though, interestingly enough, 70% of Fort Carson families still live off post. So they're in our community. I mean, they live in and around you. And so I think one of the things we need to do is recognize who that is and be able to help because we know who that family is and, and where we are in the, uh, in the cycle of their deployment. <coughs> Seventy-four thousand. Yeah, that's a bunch. That'll increase those numbers dramatically. Uh, but as you can see, it's a, the, the post is self-contained. It's like a small city. Uh, to include schools, three elementary schools, one in construction, almost completed, will be in, completed in time for this coming school year, and then uh, a middle school still go off post to to do high school. Uh, you got a major community hospital. And by the way, <coughs> Garrett and uh, the chaplain can tell you that. You know, we closed down the major facility in, in Denver, so most of the wounded so soldiers who are stationed on the front range uh, go to our Evans, Evans uh, Community Hospital for some kind of help or reference downtown to our great hospitals downtown. Okay, so you see a lot of wounded warriors around here. Uh, and they also have dental services. Uh, Normally most people say, well, what's the e economic impact of Fort Carson on the community? And you can see uh, when you look at payroll, uh, local purchases, uh, contract awards, etc., you're talking about $2.1 And you can see even by 2015 it's not going to depreciate. It's going to be somewhere around $2 billion for uh, the, 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 the near and the far future. But that's, a, that's significant. And by the way, the other four military commands uh, contribute uh, major pieces of the finance piece to, for, to, to the uh, Colorado Springs community. Next slide. 
Here you can see the projected uh, growth out to uh, 2013. We had a bubble here as the 4th Infantry Division moved back to Fort Carson in 2009. We anticipate another bubble here uh, as, as these units move in here. Another Special Forces Battalion in the 10th Group. Another Engineer Battalion and probably what's not listed on this slide is the 4th Aviation Brigade. That will probably move in, in total here. Next slide. And I thought it might be interesting as we try to talk about the soldier to, to look at the average soldier. Uh, the average soldier is probably older than you had thought. He is 28. Some stats that you read will say he's 30. Now that surprises me because when you talk about World War II, the average veteran was 26. You talk about Korea, the average veteran was 24. You talk about Vietnam, the average veteran was 19 because that was primarily a draft army. So he is considerably older. Uh, interestingly enough, females comprise 15% of the total force of 1.47 million ground soldiers, 10% of the deployed force. Males, obviously, 85%. Here's the race breakdown. And uh, our young people today are pretty well educated, as you can see by that statistic. Next slide, please. Next, Dan. Okay. Uh, you can see that the average soldier has four years of service, and in that four years, he's made two to four deployments with about a 14-month uh, uh, dwell time, is what the term is called, in between deployments. 55% uh, of our force is married, and this is the faith breakdown. I don't know whether that matches what you have. Uh, but I, I think this is interesting right here. If we're talking about how to help soldiers and their Christian life, there's an awful lot of population there that uh, is, is untapped and may not be believers. And maybe, maybe uh, Jeff, you could talk about that a little bit at some point. Okay? Um, I wanted to give you uh, an idea of what we call the Army Force Generation Cycle, R4Gen Cycle. <clears throat> this is not exactly right, but this is generally. This, and this is for a non-10th group special forces or ranger type uh, outfit like the 4th Infantry Division. But basically they'll deploy home. So they return to the USA, they resettle in their unit, takes about 30 days. Uh, meanwhile they've shipped stuff home so a lot of stuff is coming back in mill van, uh, all their equipment. And then there are soldiers who have to be released for normal professional development schools. There are soldiers who will leave the Army. Uh, that should say ETS, not ETA. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of turmoil amongst the settle when a, when a unit first gets back. Then after about 30 days, the unit will go on block leave. Everybody goes home on leave to enjoy families and get reunited with families. That could be 15 days or it could be 30 days. Generally, it's about 30 days. Then they come back and they need to begin to rebuild the unit because immediately they already have a redeployment schedule to go back into the combat area. So I got to tell you, the, the most time, you guys that have done this once or twice recently, you can speak up for me, but they'll relax during this time as they adjust, but it's a period of adjustment, and then automatically the pressure starts again because you're starting to ramp up to get ready to go to war all over again. And by the way, you've got a bunch of new people, a lot of inexperienced people, a lot of your good leaders have departed and gone elsewhere, gone to other schools, other units, etc. So it's a major building period of time uh, this last 30 days out of the first quarter. Meanwhile, guys like me who are maintaining equipment <coughs> uh, bring in new equipment training teams and about the first month of the second quarter, we'll reissue tanks and Bradleys and artillery pieces and those kind of things so you can begin individual and small unit training. And what I mean is you lose whole tank crews and whole Bradley crews and whole artillery crews uh, when you come back and soldiers shift around. So you've got to re-identify people who's going who's to fight this tank and who's going to fight this Bradley and who's going to fight this artillery piece. And then you need to start to train it so you can fire. And so there's a basic crew certification that has to go uh, on through in the Bradley business we call a table eight. And uh, so that's what happens here. And then you graduate and you go into unit collective training. 
where <clears throat> I think most of you are familiar with uh, Army organizations where, where you train at the platoon level. It's about a 40-man group, a little smaller in tank and uh, artillery. Then you train at the company level, which is basically three or four platoons. Then you train at the battalion level, which is four to five companies. Then you train at the brigade level, which is uh, basically four or five battalions until you're ready to go as a, as a collective unit. And then you certify, in other words, you make a deployment to the National Training Center in the Mojave Desert or down to the JRTC in Louisiana, and you recertify on certain tasks to prove that you're battle ready to go back to war. So you can see it's a very intense period of time for the soldier and the family. You complete your training in the uh, fourth quarter, then automatically you prepare your equipment for shipping. Normally that means loading it on a railhead, shipping it to a port like in Texas, and then loading, and, and that's well in advance. Uh, and then once again you go on block leave just before you deploy, and there you're at it again for another 12 to 15 months. So that's the cycle. And our soldiers down at Fort Carson have been doing that now, as I say, for since 2003, basically. I think 10th group a little earlier than that. Uh, then I wanted to talk about some of the soldier challenges encountered while in theater. And this is where I, I need you guys to kind of input, if you would, please. You've got immediate, you know, most of the guys operate out of a forward operating base. Uh, you can talk to the size of it, but anywhere, it could be a couple blocks to 20 block squares in a city that are secured and that kind of becomes the home base for that particular size unit. And uh, there, there is a security fence around it, maybe triple strand, triple, uh, uh, double strand. Uh, it's affectionately called the wire. Theoretically inside the wire it's secure. There's no bad guys. You've all seen the news though I think where we've had penetrations inside the wire so it's not totally safe. Plus you can get hit by indirect fire, mortars, or artillery. That's happened. So there's a certain what I call a pucker factor even though you're inside the wire. But definitely when you're <clears throat> outside the wire you're subject to ambush, uh, explosive devices, suicide bombs, car bombs, and then uh, there, we're still conducting major offensive operations particularly in uh, Afghanistan and uh, getting some pretty good firefights, and Garrett can probably talk to you about that, and of course, mortars and rockets. Sure, go ahead.
constant pr the constant pressure of uh, yeah. of uh, sustained sustained combat operations. Yeah. yeah it's, it's it's hard because a lot of people don't realize that's going on. Um, the type of pressure that at least I and the other guys put up it was so emotionally, you know, I mean, because a lot of us would like to go out and get into those gunfights, but when it's one of you guys you get hurt, you know, holding your own guys, it's, you know, kind of takes the fun factor out of it. And uh, there was another mission we were on, and uh, we were moving up to an objective in Avenida, and uh, they had pre-established fighting positions, water-filled craters, and all the vehicles got trapped and rolling over, and they had stuck. These guys had already moved forward several hundred meters getting this objective. And, uh, I was in the very back of the Red Bull, and chewing tobacco, and I was kind of watching this. We didn't have any close air support. And uh, we kind of went around the area by ourselves. And I mean, we got surrounded and we were shooting down on top of our guys. And uh, it was just kind of a real bad mess. It went on like, like one day into the following day. And we were leaving, we got trapped in there. And the vehicle was turned over. And I had a trapped soldier in there and I couldn't get him out of there. And everybody else left. It was just me and I there. And I went through every bit of ammunition that I had, every cow machine guns, all of my ammunition. And then I was taking his ammunition and it was it. We called the help. Uh, the tanks and armored personnel carriers were coming to get us and they got to come in and they couldn't get us. And then uh, it was just real bad nuts. You know what I mean? That was like that was like one night. And then the following night, and in fact the only reason <coughs> excuse me, we got out of there was uh, uh, they had to steal a caterpillar front end over. Okay, it was like several blocks away. Uh, and they, an Iraqi had to come in there and get us to put the steel cable up and pull us out of it. It was just the only one power. You know, and so then, following night, when we got another, we went out again on another mission. It was the biggest gun battle in the entire world. It was ferocious, but it was not higher than a couple of times. So those types of things where you're going through thousands of miles around the animal and you're surrounded and they kept coming at us, it just kind of wore on us. But all the guys that served me, they got out, they're done. They said, hey, I'm done with this. They got out. They were special forces guys, some working for the CIA and FBI now, but they were done. And yeah, I'm one of the last guys that were there that was still in. Yeah, was there a, a, I think from what I hear you saying is there really two factors. One is the sustained combat piece. Does the does the factor of why are we doing this? Uh, what's this all about? Particularly if you're taking casualties come into into yeah. play, and and what am I going to get whacked? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, I've, anybody live outlived their nine lives, it's been me. Because I've been very very fortunate. I'll tell you what. I mean, I thought that it was over for me a couple of times, and uh, and then I did get hit. I was leaning out. I was laying there on the ground, and I just kind of leaned over, and I see like a white light. Everything was going black. Now, I didn't realize what happened, you know, but the uh, thing is, I, confidence, like he was talking downstairs, I feel my confidence, I was kind of blown a little bit there, and it was blown in. There's some people, excuse me, that made some decisions. I don't fault them for the decisions that they made, I know that I did what was right. I'm not leaving the one behind. And I'm not saying those guys did, you took a withdrawal and got yeah. there, it was just unforeseen. But I think that uh, it was for the right reasons. But, you know, keep going and doing these things and doing these things. And some of these guys were captured and left yeah. a week later, two weeks later, you know. So it was kind of difficult to uh, what we're doing. Yeah, I think... I think the important thing for us to get out of it as a as a church body is that there are guys like Garrett and there are guys like Jeff who as the chaplain have to go uh, work with guys like Garrett who after sustained combat are trying to put this all together uh, on, a, on a continual basis. Well, you know, what, what's this all about? Probably have seen some pretty nasty things happen to other people. And even when the soldier comes back to our community I mean, the first thing they see is peaceful Colorado Springs and people living life pretty normal, not having a clue of what what's going on back in the in the combat theater. And so we need to understand that there are soldiers out there trying to 
come to grips with what they've been involved in when seemingly the world doesn't doesn't have a clue. And uh, yeah, go ahead. to 
sometimes does stuff miraculously and instantaneously, and sometimes he, for me, he, he always takes me on a journey. And I think he does that with, with most people because he has more that he's trying to do than just make a person well. Uh, yeah. Just, just be aware that, that you need to walk with your folks on this journey, and it may be a journey of, of years. Uh, there's still folks from, from Vietnam on this journey, uh, and God is still work, working with them. Maybe even, <laughs> even, even our World War II vets, God is still on that journey. And I don't know why God does that, but we need to let God work the way He wants to work. And don't say, well, if your life must not be right with God, or, or you'd be able to overcome this problem. That, that's a bad attitude. <laughs> in all that, that whole, the whole PTSD thing, let me say this, this is me. I didn't mind going to combat shooting bad guys. That's just me. I kind of thought, I'm kind of honored to be dead. I wouldn't mind doing it again. But the thing is, it's some things shook my confidence to Brady was saying downstairs. I had some things, not just in myself, but not point the fingers, but there's some people around me and above me. Uh, sometimes when you think you're doing the right thing, you know it's honorable, sometimes it's fashion. I mean, when I was out there and that humpy, that kid who was crying, you know, he was a Christian and he said, hey, whenever we're not going home, it's over now. And he was handing me the last couple of magazines and I looked down and you know, it was my fault that made him up there. I said, oh, so I'm not leaving him there, but you know, the thing is, it shook him so bad. He's like, Garrett, I got a wife at home. I got a newborn baby coming. Uh, I want to go home. And he was supposed to be flying out in the bird like that next week. You know what I mean? So, you know, I had an obligation to have the other guys. It's not, it's not about me. It's about the board. It's doing what's right. The hard right with these problems. I mean, I could stay back and chew tobacco and drink my red I just said, man, it doesn't involve me. I'm just going to hang out back over here. But, uh, that, and then there was another guy who's in the FBI now. He ran across 100 meters of open terrain. There was a guy who lost his leg his arm and was flopping around like a fish screaming for help, but nobody could go out there and help this guy. The whole place was shooting down on top of him. I mean, yeah. he ran out there, bandaged this guy's leg, bandaged his arms, shooting and moving with this guy, threw him up over his shoulders, and carried him through 40 minutes continuous rock I saw this guy do this. Okay? Shot and moved through the city and he was covered with blood from head to toe. And uh, another guy, he was an Iraqi, he was dragging him, he was one of the commandos. And after this was over, you know, it was time for him to leave the list. He didn't know what he was going to do, but he came home. And he was really, all of us were really demoralized and crushed our spirits because they gave him like an achievement of just doing that one thing. And another guy got a superstar hiding over here behind a Humvee. When this guy went out there and did that, and I just, he should have gotten a distinguished service cross. He should have recognized somebody, but they left his work laying on the floor. You know, like Army, our comic you know, what his job do anything he didn't have to go out there when he did. I just look at that, and he said, man, this is not the same. It's time for him to stop. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, that you guys talk about one of the things that I think the community needs to be aware of, and that is there is a, I think what you're talking about, there, there is a camaraderie and a dependence upon one another because of the intense situation of combat that compares to nothing like most people will ever experience again. And, and I'll tell you personally about uh, my my rifle company from Vietnam, 101st Airborne Division, has recently contacted me and asked me to help them set up a reunion. I never thought I'd, I was wounded in fact, and never thought I'd see these guys. But the one thing that as I've watched their message traffic over the last four months is they kind of expected the same camaraderie and the same trust in the business world after they left the service, and they haven't found it, and they haven't found it since they're, they're looking to really kind of reignite that. So that, that's an interesting aspect for the civilian community to be aware of. Might not totally understand it, but at least aware of it. And, and 
and guys like you are wrestling with this. On the other hand, you're you're continually soaked in uh, in deployments. On the other hand, you're trying to sort out is this all there is to life. And yet, I, I like the camaraderie, and yet my chances of getting whacked are pretty good. So I want to I want to live I want to live a normal life at some point in time, right? I started at 33, so you're you're behind me, man. Let me ask you a question here. Uh, we're supposed to complete now, I guess, right? Yes, sir. These people are standing by to fold chairs. Do you guys want to continue for 10, 15 more minutes? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Okay. What do you guys want to do? You want to press on? Okay. Press on? Yep. Okay. We'll press on. Thanks. Uh, yeah, we'll Okay. Well, yes, ma'am. Thanks. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. You're. You're. We're. No, I. I appreciate your candid. Uh, I just want you to know. I want you to know that the whole reason it's about the Lord. In the end, we would pray before we went on these missions and stuff like that. And something that when I looked down at that young man that I'm meeting, I looked down and he was only 21 years old. He was crying. And I looked down and. Garrett, it gets down to the basics of what's life all about yeah. when you're in that situation. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yes, sir. I think that's an excellent point, and it's one that Jeff and I have talked about privately in his office. And that is that we, as normal combat soldiers, look to our chaplain with some uh, superhuman strength because he's a man of God, and yet they're human beings too, even though they're believers and they're setting the pace for us all spiritually, and they have the same challenges that any soldier has. They've got to stay alive, they've got a family normally, uh, who's back at home with a wife trying to run the family, uh, and they're trying to minister to soldiers who need help, particularly in some of the situations like Garrett just described, and 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 they've got to outwardly at least maintain control and be above it all to provide the spiritual strength that soldiers need, 
and yet they've got the same needs. And, and you'll see that in my summary chart. And the interesting thing that, uh, that uh, Jeff brought up in one of our discussions was, you know, we, everybody else gets kind of some time off and sabbaticals and that kind of thing and retreats. We, we never get any time to retreat. And so one of the things that I want to discuss with the New Life uh, uh, seniority here in ministry is maybe we can help these guys have some kind of uh, retreat here at the, at the church to help them get away and regroup spiritually. Anyway, I, I agree with what you said. I, I talked to And, it, and they had it in World War II, it's called shell shock. Yeah. It's the same deal. And yeah, I agree with you. But um, it's affected the community tremendously. And sometimes, as civilians, all we see is the bad things that happen. You know, guys wrecking the motorcycles going 100, 200 miles an hour, um, coming back with PTSD, shooting up things, fights and wars. Yeah, I, well, unfortunately, the press is going to cover that. And, uh, you know, the press is not our friend. And I know that's not a politically correct statement, but I think I can say that here. <laughs> but, but, I mean, there, there's, I mean, just like uh, some of the firefights or the fights that you've been in and Garrett's been in and, and the chaplain's been in, our, our soldiers are doing some great things in the tradition of soldier. Now, does that ever get reported? Sure, in Army Times or Navy Times or Air Force Times. Does it ever really make a public paper like the Gazette downtown or the Denver Post? No. How about all the schools? How about all the, the uh, infrastructure that's being built in Afghanistan and Iraq? Does that ever get any coverage? No, and yet we're doing a great job. It's the motorcycle accident or the bar fight or the murder or whatever. I mean, that's what gets the, the publicity. And uh, I, I, quite frankly, I believe the Army's failed at that, the Army. I think the military services have, have need to do a lot better, you know, forcing good articles about good soldiers and all the good things that are doing uh, you know, forcing that on our uh, civilian media. Uh, we don't do a good job at that. I agree with you. Yes, sir. Sir, what is your feeling about when you engage in the enemy and you find out, do I have to take you out? Can I have permission to take you out? And you mean rules of engagement? It's being closed. Walking around, like, for example, on the building top of AK-47, right on the top do you guys hear the question? What, what's my feeling about questionable rules of engagement when you have somebody in civilian attire? Any, any responses? in uh, all conflicts. Yes. I mean, some, some guys uh, on high who aren't in the fight invent these rules of engagement. That does impact on the soldier. It does impact on PTSD. 
and so on. But uh, we're kind of astray from what we're talking about. But I, I guess my personal opinion is I've, root, I've, I've worked rules of engagement, and uh, I, I agree with Garrett's approach. And, and we, we are... Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, one of the things that, it, that has impressed me is we've done work with some of these soldiers' homes. And some of the people have been in conflict like you, and here's their wall plastered with all these medals and different awards, things that they've been given. Chris, I think, of especially. In, uh, and here they are off in a basement. They're a hero. You know, and they're home watching Oprah. And they can't get out of their house, and they have yep. no legs. And, you know, and they're whatever. I don't know when he was, 26 or something years old. And, you know, he gave you his legs. He gave you his conflict. And it makes you cry, doesn't lost. it? Yeah, it makes, it makes you cry. His parents, you know, here's somebody that would, he's a leader. Well, that, that may be a way that uh, there, there's going to be, my understanding is there's going to be a breakfast, I think, coming up next Saturday or next Sunday, perhaps, some meeting, you know. And uh, just kind of, if you're interested, stay tuned. They're, they're trying to collect ideas on how best to help soldiers and families. And maybe, maybe that's a way that we can provide more assistance for new life, and that is to help our wounded uh, warriors, those particularly who've lost limbs uh, or have permanent traumatic brain injury or something like that. So I, th I think that's a good point. Let me, uh, uh, let me just get through. Yeah. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Because they've gotten complacent and careless because they're more concerned about what they have going on in their life. Is that, a, is that a way of coping themselves, do you think, after multiple deployments? I don't know what it is. I know that I'm on the ground, and I know that there was never one deployment I had where I was relaxing somewhere. I was always in the heat battle, always. And I know some real, uh, uh, real tough issues because I, I will share with you that, and this is another thing the community needs to be aware of, is that I was talking with a colonel uh, the other day, active, and I was saying that, uh, you know, I've, I've been around this earth now for almost 65 years, and I was a young guy uh, who went into Vietnam War very idealistic, uh, got on the ground there a couple times and saw the way it really was, and saw that soldiers really fight for themselves, not motherhood, apple pie, and white picket fences, and saw some real trouble with leadership, and then that was in the late 60s, then we got into the 70s, and we really had some leadership challenges because of the way our army was. Now what I see is our army, the same way, I see some of the same things now after, after almost 10 years that I saw in the early 70s. And uh, 
the, the challenge for a ground guy is depending on a leader is he can spot a fake and a flash and if you have guys for whatever reason who are fake you're going to lose respect and you're going to lose confidence in your leaders and then you, and, you, and you don't want to lay your life down on the, on the line unless you know your leader is a capable guy because you're where the rubber meets the road making it happen so what I've said as senior guys have talked to me is we're we're really at the point where we need more than a 12-month dwell time. We really do need at least a two-year dwell time to, again, grow confidence in leaders, to, again, grow confident leaders, to give them the experience and training that they need in combat, and to just rest soldiers without this fast ramp back up to a combat situation. I think that's, that's really what you're talking about. Because I, I know I don't want to fight under a guy that I don't trust. You know, I want to trust that guy. A, it's a good point. There, there are some huge doors open here for, for the local church. You know, not just this one, but others. There are some huge doors open if, if churches can, can kind of find a way to, to tap into that. Uh, the system is, because we are in continuous, persistent conflict, the system is hurting us because those leaders as soon as they come back from combat, all your leaders are switching out. That's exactly right. You know, They're yeah. gone. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And that's another problem right there. Yeah, before I came back from my last deployment, I knew I was coming here and going to deploy. And whenever I come back from my next deployment, I'm not going to have time to do to do what? I'm going to be, and all, all the commanders are going to change out. And, and now they're changing out commanders. It used to want to have a command, change of command ceremony for one person. Now they're doing it for five or six. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's the brigade, and it's all the battalion commanders, and a good chunk of company commanders all go, and the first sergeants, and the sergeants major, all go at the same whack. And, and so it's a, it's a lead, it creates this environment where, where leaders are like, I don't have time to invest with you, I'm getting ready to leave, and, and, and they're exactly right. he's going to have to take care of it. I'm going to come out here. The pride, the spirit, the core, confidence, you know, reliability. You got to think yeah. people who work together that you can count on no matter what. I know the chapter so and so is going to do the right thing. I know that this guy's going to do the right thing. Well, then go. Yeah, and then he's gone, and then it's like, well, I don't care what you did over there in that gun battle, and I don't care if you, you know, saved Private Ryan over there or whatever happened. I wasn't there, so, you know. Then it's just like, they're just really, it's just fun. Yeah, that's, that's. The environment of negativity and doubt and lack of confidence and it's just it's bad. Yeah, I see, I, unfortunately, I, I, I think... Uh, Not to bring out all the bad, but I'm just saying, yeah, I, what I, the guys in the field, and that's why so many guys have left, even special ops, I mean, they're just crushed because they, they, they treat them like, well, you carried that guy without a leg and you were surrounded, broke out of a circumvent, and I think there are two pieces, though, here. Is how can the church help? And then what, what do we need to do in the Army to surface concerns like you, get, you two guys brought up? Because we're not, certainly we're not going to change that at New Life Church. Right. We, we can certainly understand it as a part of the soldier's psyche when he returns. But, but that's got to be changed from within the Army. I think recognition of guys Absolutely. Well, that 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 truly falls on the shoulders of tenth group leadership. I mean, clearly. Let me, uh, guys. I, I know that uh, man, I, we could probably go on another hour, but I just want to zip through some slides here and get on our get on our end slide. There's also this whole business of culture, which we could we could talk about for an hour because that is a major. Uh, piece of soldier challenge when he gets in country. Next slide. Uh, and then Garrett has talked a little bit about what, what you see and having to live with that. 
wound recovery. Faith becomes a big question when you watch somebody die or get wounded on the battlefield. And you wonder, oh, what's this all about? Uh, particularly in Iraq right now because the, the direct conflict for most units is down. There's boredom. And then, of course, the question is, what does a soldier do with boredom? He turns to the Internet. That's where pornography takes place, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's maybe where we can, we can help out as a church. And that th this, is, uh, this is good and bad, the cell phone piece, being able to call the, the family. Uh, that, that's got pros and cons. Next slide. Uh, I wanted to touch on this for a little bit. This is some things I think the soldier's family deals with. Anxiety. Is my soldier, whether it's a husband or a wife, going to make it? Uh, man, I'm having trouble managing the whole household. I am bored because my buddy's not there. Uh, you know, faith may be faltering, and that needs to be reinforced uh, at, on the home front. Then who are my real friends kind of a thing. Those are all pieces of the, of the puzzle and challenges. And uh, then uh, this business, some of which we've already talked about, initial euphoria. Uh, but, oop, by the way, you got another mission coming up. <clears throat> this adjustment to society, I think, is a biggie. Uh, because just looking at the way America lives and knowing what you and your buddies have gone through, a little different to adjust to. Uh, adjustment to the family, to the, maybe to the young kids and changing diapers and those kind of things and just getting along with your spouse. Uh, wound recovery is a challenge to include traumatic brain injury, which has uh, really been focused on in these two wars with the IEDs and the bombs that these guys encounter. And then again, faith. Next. There are a bunch of, uh, there are a bunch of Army community services that I'll just flip by real quick that are designed to help the soldier and his family. Just kind of speed through those, maybe a couple seconds on each one, Dan. Uh, talk, help them with financial readiness and debt. Uh, emergency funds for those soldiers who really need it. Next. Uh, help employment, spouses with employment as their uh, families are away if needed. Uh, RB family team building is big. That's Each unit has kind of its own uh, network of people to contact when soldiers are away. But that takes training to do that. So there are about three levels. Next. Uh, there is a family, large family, family advocacy program to prevent uh, mistreatment of family members by one, one person or the other when they return. Next. And uh, here's another piece of assistance to include loan closets, uh, toy and book exchanges, etc. Next slide. And of course there's a bunch of volunteer programs for those who don't want to work but want to be involved in the community. There's all kinds of things that they can involve with. So there's an office that, uh, that does that. And so here, here's kind of what we've talked about. <clears throat> and I've said, uh, and I think I've captured most of what we've, we've discussed, uh, Jeff. Know your soldiers and the soldier families in your community. As we said, 70% of those soldiers live off post. Uh, know, if you know the family, know where they are in the R4Gen cycle. So you kind of know where they are and getting wrapped up to go back to war. Uh, you know, Jeff pointed out something to me. I think the community, in really wanting to do well, holds these big events, like they could be dinners or they could be award ceremonies or something like that. Uh, what, what we found is the soldier doesn't need that. I mean, he, he wants to be cared for kind of privately. So I think you need to be sensitive to that. And if you guys want to pop up and say anything about I, that, please. I, I, the more I look at this, the soldier, soldiers today have very little, I'm a lieutenant colonel, I have very little control over my life. And whenever I get those periods of time where I can control my life, I don't want to go nowhere or do nothing. You can stand out here in the corner and say, if you'll show up for two hours on this day, we'll give you a $100 bill. I'd say, no thanks. I want all of you left alone. And so soldiers, it's like pulling teeth to get people, when we see this, to come to big events. But we want to do something really neat for soldiers. We'll, 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 it's free and you all come. Well, they're, they're not going to come because they want to be left alone. The, the best way, I think, to minister to soldiers is find the individual soldier or family that is, you know, start with those that are in your pew. They're there. And, and find out where they are, where they're hurting, uh, what they need, and minister to them as an individual. It's a micro. You'll never get famous for it. You'll never, you'll never 
you know, you, you'll never see thousands coming to an event. Uh, uh, but I think that that, that, is the, that is one of the keys to work with these individual families and then network. They know somebody. You, you know, you, you have people obviously, you know, caring for you. You know some folks that, that you can connect with. And, 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 and do it almost in, in the small the small group, cell group concept, you know, the micro instead of the macro. I don't think we'll be effective in, in a macro ministry big program. It, it'll be one-on-one -on -one finding your families, finding out what they need, because they're all different. You know, some soldiers like in special forces in the middle of hard combat, and others are, are like the cook that just goes over yeah, there. And, support guy. And, and, yeah. And, and yeah, great, great point, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, and then along those lines, uh, encourage, encourage church involvement. We certainly can pray for those guys and ladies. And uh, again, remember, chaplains, they need help just like any other, and love and attention just like any other soldier. Guys, that's, that's uh, what I had. You, you guys have been terrific.